Thank you so much for listening to our podcast here at the Greenwood Church of God. We are so excited that you have found us here. Our prayer is that this podcast would enrich your life and give you strength for this week ahead. Thank you so much for being here. Now enjoy the podcast. Praise the Lord. Amen. If you want to get on that topic, we need prayer too this season. So <laughs> we, we barely pulled a couple of them off. Come on. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Are there any rejoicers in the house tonight on a Sunday night? Amen. That can put your hands together and give the Lord praise. What a privilege it is for us to be here tonight. Man, we, I leaned over to my wife and I said, um, we've been driving, driving, driving. And I mean, I went to the hotel, tried to freshen up a little bit, had about 10 minutes to do that and change clothes real quick and get our way to church. And I said, man, if we'd have stopped for five more minutes, we would have missed church, missed that first song. Anyway, it's a, it's a little bit of a ways from Mobile, but, uh, I am honored and privileged to be with you tonight. Pastor, thank you for inviting me to come. It's, it is indeed an honor. We, uh, uh, I've, I've known your pastor from a distance. We've been acquainted. I'm looking forward to getting to know him better, but I know him by reputation and a lot of mutual friends. And, and I love preaching in Mississippi. I, I'm telling you, there's something about Mississippi. I, I love crossing the line and coming over here to preach. As a matter of fact, the state administrative bishop, the overseer of Mississippi, is a great friend of mine. And he told me the other day, he said, if you don't stop preaching here, I'm going to make you a state evangelist. <laughs> so I, I love being in Mississippi and uh, it's just an honor to be here tonight. Tonight. I did preach this morning twice. So if my voice, I know my voice sounds strong, it's not. <laughs> uh, I, I preached, uh, this would be the seventh time in three days. Uh, we were Friday. I got my schedule all messed up. I thought I was supposed to be somewhere last week, and it was this weekend, and it worked out where I could still go. So we, we got to Atlanta and uh, Friday morning, had to do a couple things in Atlanta for a TV station, and then drove up to South Carolina from there, and was in Greenville, South Carolina Friday night, and then did a pastor's uh, gathering Saturday morning, hopped on an airplane, flew back home, got home late last night, tried to sleep a little bit, preached twice this morning, and then uh, hopped in the car as soon as church was over, and we stopped to get gas one time and pressed on for Mobile, and I'm going to sleep late tomorrow. I'm just going to tell you that. I'll just confess. I'm going to sleep late tomorrow. But uh, it's been a wonderful weekend. The Lord has just touched and ministered, and I'm excited about what he's going to do tonight. What a beautiful church. When I pulled up, man, I know you get used to it when you come in, but this is a beautiful, beautiful church and where it sits and the building. And all of you that are visiting with us tonight, we're just so honored to have you here. One more time, can we just give the Lord a good hand clap of praise? <clears throat> I've got a word tonight I want to share. I, I'll tell you the truth, Pastor. I preached the same message this morning twice. That's the way we do on Sunday morning with our two services. And I was talking, it was a message about what time is it dealing with the current events that are happening. We love Israel. I've been many, many times. 
I've had the privilege to take hundreds of people over there on trips, and we were scheduled to make our second trip this year in November, and of course, we've had to cancel that, and uh, all the way over here, that was on my mind. I thought I didn't want to preach it just because it was easy. It's just it's burning inside of me. Uh, and I've been listening to you too some. And I know you've been on that topic. And I thought, I'm just going to let Pastor handle that as much as that is in my heart. Um, I, I, and I felt the Lord take me a direction tonight that I want to share with you. I know you've been up and down. That's what we do in Pentecost, Pentecostal churches. We do calisthenics. But I'm going to read the text, and I want to ask you to stand with me for just a moment as we read the text in Mark chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, turn with me over to the book of Mark chapter 10. I do believe I have a word tonight for the church, especially for this revival service. He told me, I heard him say that Kirk Pitts preached the last one. My goodness, that's like trying to follow Michael Jordan doing layups or something, but... Uh, I'm going to do my best tonight to obey the Lord. Amen. One thing that I, I want to hear the Lord do, I, I, God has been good to us. He's, I, I walked in today and, and to the hotel, the church provided a place for us to stay. And I walked in, saw the card and the things you had for us. And I, I told my wife, I said, I never get over that, that I feel so undeserving to even be here and to, to have that kind of love and, and treatment. And I mean that sincerely. That's not false humility. I just always, I'm always, I stay in awe of the fact that God could use somebody like me. Anybody ever felt that way? If, if you don't stay in that posture and you begin to think it's more about you, you'll find yourself in trouble. But I do. I'm always amazed that God can use somebody like me. But what I realize is, is that when we humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God, we can be used by God. And tonight I've got a word. If you'll prepare your hearts to receive this word, I, I believe I've got a word. I, I may not be the greatest preacher that you'll have on a Sunday night revival service, but I believe if you'll open up your hearts to the word of God, you're going to hear from heaven. And you're going to discover that heaven has a word for you tonight that's going to change your life forever. And I'm just going to pray in a moment that God will use me to speak it. If God can get it to me, he can get it through me. And I want to talk tonight from Mark chapter 10. This is a familiar passage. You've heard this story. If you've been in church any length of time, you've heard this story preached over and over. But tonight I want to approach it from a little different angle and share with you about this man that we call blind Bartimaeus. Beginning in verse 46, it says, now they came to Jericho and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out the great deal more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they that then they called the blind man saying to him, be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, rabbi, that I might receive my sight. 
Then Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. I want to talk to you tonight on the thought, a cry for deliverance, a cry for deliverance. Would you stretch a hand toward heaven and then stretch your prayers toward me and ask God tonight to anoint our time together. Father, I thank you tonight for the privilege that I have to stand in this place and to preach your word. God, I believe that one of the last day uh, efforts of Satan to defeat uh, to, to bind the church is this thing of deception and God I pray tonight that we will not be removed from the word but tonight God that we will hear from you Lord that will not be distracted but God I pray your word will go forth with anointing and with power I pray God anoint me with an anointing that makes preaching powerful and effective I can't Lord you never said I could but you can you always said you would so i ask you tonight to bathe this place with your presence for in your presence there's fullness of joy and at your right hand pleasure forevermore do it in jesus name i pray amen and amen you may be seated you know one of the most effective methods of warfare that satan uses against the church is to create an atmosphere that makes it inconducive or uncomfortable for people to cry out to God for deliverance. I would even say that too often we as Pentecostals have almost outlawed the very thing that brought us to where we are. We find ourselves in a position where sometimes uh, we, we get so comfortable in the blessings of God and where we once were on the other side of the tracks, now we found ourselves on the good side of the tracks and we've got a little more and, and we're able to do a little more. And If we're not careful, we begin to move ourselves away from the very thing that brought us to where we are. We, we too often have recreated the atmosphere out of which we came. We left dead religious routine, but now we've recreated that same routine and death. We left bondage, but we recreate that same bondage. We left ritualism for life, but we've returned too many times right back to empty ritualism. We've traded relationship for religion. And when I say religion, I'm talking about relig the type of religion that we know when to stand, we know when to sit, we go through the motions, we check the boxes, but there's no passion. It becomes a form of godliness that denies the power thereof. Religion is simply trained flesh going through the motions, coming before God with pretense without giving him your heart. And there's nothing worse and more pathetic than religion, trying to, trying to imitate power. Religion says, the difference between religion and relationship religion says let the pastor and the staff and the and the leaders let them do all the work but relationship says here am I Lord send me religion says let the praise team the worship team do all the singing and the worship but relationship says I will bless the Lord at all times his praise shall continually be in my mouth religion says let the wealthy do the giving but relationship says as David said how can I give that to God which costs me nothing religion says ministry's too hard but relationship 
worship says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Come on, somebody help me tonight. Religion says, I'm going to drop out of church because of all the church problems and church hurt. But relationship says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because God's with me. And regardless of my situation, that's not my revelation, and I'm going to keep serving God. Religion says, we have to stand up too long to sing. Hope I'm bothering somebody on a Sunday night. These seats are too soft. These seats are too hard. These seats are too shaky. They're too close. This music's too loud. It's too soft. It's too old. It's too new. Give me what I want. Give me my kind of song. Give me my kind of sermon. Give me my kind of prayer. Give me my kind of church. Just enough, but not too much. But relationship says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord all ye lands. Come before his presence with singing and know ye that the Lord he is God, for it is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving. I will enter into his courts with praise. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Come on. Listen. When our pews are being filled with alcoholics and homosexuals and drug addicts and people in these last days that are searching for something that's greater than what they already possess. When in the church world today, we've got bound believers and prideful preachers, ministries that somebody said are more puny than powerful, more anemic than anointed. We need the power of God that when the people walk through those doors searching for what we profess to have we give them what the word of God tells us we can give them we can lay hands on the sick and they can recover we can cast out devils that bind them and constrain them we have to we have to create an atmosphere that encourages the cry for deliverance now let me say there's some things that when they're done are socially unacceptable. But when they're done in obedience to God, they lose a blessing from heaven. There's things that, that, that may culturally be weird and may culturally be strange, but when they're done in obedience to God, it looses the hand of God. I'll give you an example. It was unacceptable for a man of such high profile as Naaman to find himself dipping in an old muddy river seven times. But when he did it, it brought his deliverance. It was unacceptable for a woman with an issue of blood to find herself around a crowd of people, much less pressing through a crowd and touching other people. But when she touched the hem of the garment of Jesus, he felt virtue leave from him, and she was healed of her disease. It was unacceptable for a woman with an alabaster box full of spikenard oil to find herself at the feet of Jesus, washing his feet with her hair and with that ointment. But when she did it, she prepared himself for him, Jesus for the crucifixion and herself for deliverance and hear me tonight if we want to receive our deliverance from God there are times when we must be radical the Bible says that from the days of John the Baptist until now that the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force we've got to be willing to break past popular opinion and say you can criticize me if you want but I'm going to press into what God God has for me. 
Because the devil knows, Satan knows, whenever God's people cry out that God responds with deliverance. Genesis 3, 32 verse 9, excuse me, Jacob cries out for deliverance and God responds. Exodus 3 and verse 23, Israel has been in bondage for 400 years. And they cry out to God for a deliverer and God sends them Moses. In Judges, Israel cried out. And God sends them Gideon. In 1 Kings 17 and 20, Elijah cries out. And God gives life to the widow's son. Can I just tell you, God is in the business of rescuing people from the iron-handed fist of the devil. The silencing the voice of God's people is nothing new. Satan's been trying to do it for millennium. It's nothing new. And in Mark chapter 10, verse 46, our text, we see that Jesus is leaving the very wealthy town of Jericho. But as he's leaving this very wealthy town of Jericho, he finds himself running into a man in a very poor condition. And I want to look, I want to look at some things that, that were included in Bartimaeus's cry. We know the story. We know where Bartimaeus, I just read it. You know the end result. But I want to show you, I want to draw out some things tonight that, and point out some things to you that were that were part of his cry for deliverance that will work for us as well. The first thing I want you to know is that his cry was a cry of faith. Now when you read the text that we just read, the first two verses, verse 46 and verse 47, I want you to notice something. I, I say at Oak Park where we pastor in Mobile, I say you can't just read the Bible, you got to read the Bible because sometimes one word really makes a difference. It's really the key. It's the, it's the hook to the entire story. And I notice in chapter uh, 10 and verse 46 and 47, I notice something about blind Bartimaeus. It says that he heard. When he heard about Jesus, now something I've understood talking to blind people and, and, and communicating with people that are deaf is that when you lose one of your senses, the other senses are increased. They become more sensitive. That's the reason people like Gordon Moat can be blind, but he can play the piano and have perfect pitch with his ears because, because he's blind with his eyes, it elevates the other senses, including his hearing. And the Bible says regarding Bartimaeus, when he heard that it was Jesus that passed by. Now understand that when he heard about Jesus, at this point, he was blind. That means everything that he comprehended was based up on four senses not five it was not based upon his sight it was based upon what he heard what he smelled what he tasted or what he touched because he could not see and the Bible gives us an indication of what he discerned about this instance because it says that when he heard that it was Jesus I would submit to you that everything he knew about Jesus was based upon his ability to hear everything he knew about Jesus Jesus was what he had heard about Jesus. Now, I don't know what he heard. I don't know what he heard. I couldn't, I, I, I couldn't tell you, but I can guess. I could say maybe he heard how Jesus touched Peter's mother-in-law's fevered brow and she was made whole. Maybe he heard how Jesus multiplied a little boy's sack lunch of fish sandwiches and fed the multitude.
multitude. I, I don't know. Maybe he heard about that woman with an issue of blood. Maybe he heard how Jesus had healed a lame man or how he healed the man that stretched forth his withered hand and it was made whole. Maybe he heard about the man in John 9 where Jesus made mud and put it on his eyes and he saw again. I, I don't know, but there was something that he heard that caused him to hear beyond his present circumstances. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word of God. I would submit to you tonight that the antithesis, the opposite of faith is not necessarily doubt. Now, if I were to ask people, what's the opposite of faith? Probably nine out of 10 or 10 out of 10 would say doubt, but I'll submit to you that the opposite of faith is sight. Because if you can see it, I don't, it doesn't require faith. I see this keyboard. I don't have to have faith for this keyboard. I already see it. I can see these shoes on my feet, so it doesn't require me to have faith. I already see that I possess them. So when I can see it, it doesn't require faith. But the opposite of faith is, is not doubt, I would submit, but it's sight. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it gives us the very definition of faith. It says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of what? Things not seen. Faith is what you can't see. When you can't see it, it requires you to trust God for it. Every time I think of that verse, I, I'm reminded when Kim and I, my wife, and it is good to have her tonight, by the way, I forgot to mention that. But it's when, when we first began pastoring, we were, we were 26 years old and we had a, a two-year-old, actually a four-year-old and twins that were two years old. And we pastored in Chattanooga area in Georgia. And we drove to a Church of God prayer conference, first state meeting we'd ever been to, or camp meeting actually. And we drove to Atlanta, Georgia. Georgia. Through all that traffic with a four-year-old and two two-year-olds, we drove two and a half hours. By the time we got there, we needed camp meeting, prayer meetings. <laughs> and we had, we, had, we had scheduled and booked that hotel about four months before. I had, back then, this has been a while back, so you didn't have internet and all that. We'd called, you know, like you used to have to do. T -t 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 -t. No, it wasn't that bad. We, we, we called, we, we, we booked the hotel. I show up, I'm tired, babies are hungry, they're screaming. We're ready to get in that room, get settled in. And the lady at the front desk said, I'm sorry, we don't have a room. I'm like, well, wait a minute. I've got a confirmation number. She said, I see that, but we don't have any rooms available. And I'm like, well, what good is a confirmation number? And she said, we just, we just don't have any rooms available. And I got that number and I said, look, you gave this to me four months ago. It is the evidence that I have a room here. Now, I don't know if you're going to have to evict somebody. <laughs> if you're going to have to pitch a tent outside somewhere. Or if you're going to have to build me a room. But this is the evidence that I have a room in this hotel. 
You see, that's what faith is. Faith is the evidence of things you can't see. It's the confirmation number. Because a doctor may say you're sick and you're going to die and not live. But I've got a confirmation number. I don't care what he tells me. I've got a confirmation number that says, with the stripes of Jesus, I am healed. The devil may place anxiety and depression upon you. But I've got a confirmation number that tells me my situation does not determine my revelation because the confirmation number says that he will keep thee in perfect peace he whose mind is stayed on thee I've got more month than I got money I'm broke, busted and disgusted and it looks bad but the Lord said I've got a confirmation number my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches in glory it's not based on what you see it's based upon what the word says amen so faith the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is what we see. And faith is the evidence of things that we can't see. Second Corinthians 5, 7 says, For we walk by faith, not by... Come on, y'all preaching good. Romans 10, 17, I've already read, says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word. What Bartimaeus heard got into his spirit. He heard something that got into his spirit and when it got into his spirit he began to see himself through spiritual eyes he could not see yet through his natural eyes but he saw through spiritual eyes I'll tell you what happened he got a word and when he got a word it became the evidence of what he couldn't see and he got a word and he got a vision come on turn to somebody and tell them I've got a word and I've got a vision. Come on, tell somebody. I've got a word and I've got a vision. Amen. I may be broke, but I've got a word and I've got a vision. I may be sick, but I've got a word and I've got a vision. I may be full of fear, but I've got a word and I've got a vision. The devil is not worried as much about who you are as much as he is the potential of what you can be. He knows, amen, that you may be battered, you may, but you've got a word and you've got a vision. He knows you may be hurting, but if you can get a word, you can get a vision. You may be struggling, but if you can get a word, you can get a vision. And every now and then, I just have to remind the devil. I have to remind people, I know it doesn't look like much, but don't count me out yet. Don't dig my grave yet. Don't bury me in grave clothes yet. Don't chase me out yet. I may not be much now, but I've got a word, and I've got a vision, and what you see now is not yet what I shall be. Come on, somebody. Give the Lord praise in this house. Not only, not only did his faith produce a word and a vision. But here's an important one. It produced a faith in whom he believed Jesus to be. Bartimaeus began to inquire, who is this? What's going on? What's this noise? Everywhere Jesus went, there was a crowd. And where there's a crowd, there's noise. Bartimaeus began to say and ask and inquire. I'm sure. What, what is this? What's going on? Who is this? And somebody responded. It's in the text. I just, you just got to kind of put yourself in the text and see this conversation unfold. And somebody says, this is Jesus of Nazareth. Now, that doesn't mean a whole lot. And I know there's power in the name of Jesus. I, 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 I get that. I understand that. But, but that is not the posture from which they responded. They said, it's Jesus of Nazareth. What that means is, this is Jesus their response was simply, this is Jesus, the man from Nazareth. 
He's just an ordinary man. Jesus, that's no different than saying, who's this preacher? Well, that's David Smith from Mobile. That's all it means. That's all they said. They had no, they had, when they said Jesus, it had no oomph. It had no authority from their posture. In Bartimaeus, though, when they said it's Jesus, the man from Nazareth, Bartimaeus thought to himself, that's no ordinary man. Jesus? And I can hear Bartimaeus say, wait a minute, Jesus from Nazareth? Yeah, that's him. Jesus, the one that was born of a virgin? Yeah, that Jesus. Jesus, the one who has the 12 disciples? Yeah, that's, that's the one. Jesus, the one who confounded all of those in the temple when he was only a little boy, when he picked up the word? Yeah, that Jesus. Jesus, the one who the woman with the issue of blood touched his him and was made whole? Yeah, that's the one. Jesus, the one who multiplied the loaves and the fishes and fed a multitude they're like yeah that's the one Jesus the one who healed a blind man yeah that's the one Jesus son of David Bartimaeus's response was not an ordinary response he didn't cry out Jesus of Nazareth but when he cried out Jesus son of David he responded with a messianic term that identified Jesus as more than a man from Nazareth who Bartimaeus cried out to was more than a prophet Bartimaeus cried out to listen we got to understand who we're calling out to Jesus is not the best way to heaven Jesus is not a good way to heaven jesus is not a better way to heaven jesus is the only way to heaven come on in matthew chapter 16 the bible says that jesus is gathered with his disciples and he asked them he said who do men say that i am it was simon i believe the most outspoken one that spoke up and he said well some say some people are saying you're elijah some people have said you're jeremiah some people have said you're just one of the prophets and I, I think Jesus looked at Simon he said well I can handle the gossip but who do you say I am Jesus is saying to the church I can handle who CNN says I am I can handle who Iran Sheik says I am I can handle all that but he's coming to the church the ones who profess him as Lord the ones who talk about him as Savior, the one whose we call, uh, we refer to ourselves as Christ followers, Christians. And he's asking the church, Who do you say I am? Simon said, Thou art the Christ, the anointed one. Jesus said, Flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And Simon, which means a reed shaken in the wind, thou shalt be called Peter. Petros, which means a rock established on the rock. Petra. And he says, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Let me tell you tonight, you have to know who you're calling on. I believe I'm third generation I've been I've been in this thing long enough that I can tell you all the stories I remember coming into churches and when we used to come into church you'd hear a crowd over here on the left side praying 30 minutes before church you'd hear a crowd over here they'd be praying 30 minutes before church and when you walked in the building the glory cloud was already resting before we ever sang the first song before we ever preached the sermon there was a presence and a power of God in that place it's because they knew who the 
they were calling on. And somewhere along the way, we have pushed that back. We have made it more about our abilities rather than His ability. And I'm telling you, we need to to create an atmosphere that creates a place where those that are addicted and bound in sin can cry out for deliverance. And to do that, we've got to know who He is. Hebrews 11.6 says that, that you have to have faith to even please God. It takes faith to please God. Without it, it's impossible to please God. It takes faith for a visible person to lift hands to an invisible God. It takes faith to believe an invisible God to heal a visible disease. It takes faith to believe an invisible God to put visible food on a visible table where there is no visible food. It takes place faith for visible people to gather in this visible building and lift up our visible hands to an invisible God. It takes faith. Amen to get in a visible car and drive down the road and lift up your visible hands unto the Lord when you get carried away with visible people looking from other cars at you thinking you lost your mind. Come on, that's just a testimony right there. It takes faith. But not only was it a, was it a cry of faith, and not only did it produce a faith in whom he believed Jesus to be, but number three, it was a cry that could not be silenced or distracted. Listen, we've got to be willing to get past, to get our deliverance, even in the middle of our opposition. Verse 48 of the text says that when he began to cry, they began to tell him to be quiet. Come on, calm down, Bartimaeus. Be quiet. This is Jesus. Calm down. Be quiet. I told you I've been to Israel many times, and I remember every time you walk into that upper room, it is under really strict, they're really particular there because people get carried away in that upper room. And I remember last time we were there, it said at the door, please do not talk beyond a whisper. So I'm in there, and I'm reading the text. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all gathered in one place. When suddenly... There came a sound from heaven like a mighty rushing wind. Filled the house, filled the house where they were sitting, and tongues of fire fell upon them. And all of a sudden, I'm in that room, I forgot to whisper. I forgot I was supposed to be quiet and I got about 50 folks gathered around me and I started thinking about what took place on that spot all of a sudden some lady looked at me she walked over there about that tall she walked over there and touched me on the shoulder looked at me and said shh this is a holy place I said I know it is that's why I'm getting so excited about it Amen. It's a holy place. And I think sometimes, now I respected that moment, but sometimes we forget that we're not supposed to be calm about what he did for us. Sometimes it's not a shout until you let it out. It's not a praise until you release it. It's not a worship until you let it go. And sometimes when I think of his goodness and what he's done for me, I can't help but rejoice in who he is and what he's done. I wish you'd take about 15 seconds right where you're at and give Give God a shout of praise. Come on, think about what he brought you out of. Think about what he brought you through. Think about what he's done for you. Hallelujah. But Bartimaeus, when they told him to be quiet, he just cried out a great deal more. I like Bartimaeus. See, verse 48 tells us that he just kept crying out. Because some of you, I don't know you, so I'm just guessing, but some of you have been waiting on everybody to like you. 
The Bible says, you know what the Bible says? We had Pastor Appreciation Wednesday night, and, and, and I had two or three people come up to me. They said, Pastor, everybody just loves you. I said, you ain't talked to everybody. <laughs> I said, I said, when you mention my name, you better be ready to pucker or duck, one of the two, because you ain't talked to everybody. I've been doing this thing way too long to say everybody loves me. And the Bible says to beware when all men speak good about you. Be careful. Whenever people get down to business with God, there will always be opposition. Hannah was praying. Somebody thought she was drunk. David worshipped until he worshipped out of his position. He was king. He was wearing the regal robe. And he shouted out of his regal garment. He didn't shout until he was naked. That's not what that story is about. He shouted out of his royalty. He shouted out of his identity as a king until there was nothing but an ephod that, called, that identified him for who he really was. Because underneath that royal robe was the reason that he was king. He was a worshiper. And when he shouted out of his royal robe that identified him as some kind of regal authority and he humbled himself as a worshiper his own wife began to criticize him there was a woman with an ish, with an alabaster box that we've already talked about that anointed Jesus feet and Judas one of the disciples criticized her for the waste that it was this could have been sold and put into the treasury where I could have stolen it come on somebody on the day of Pentecost, they said these are drunk with wine because they were drunk in the spirit. I, I, I've got one word for Bartimaeus. When I read this story, I ask the Lord to give me one word, and there's one word that I think describes Bartimaeus, and it is the word relentless. Bartimaeus was relentless. I could say he was persistent, I, 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 but I would say relentless. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7, it says, ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Come on, theologians, you know what that really says is ask and keep on asking. Knock and keep on knocking. Seek and keep on seeking. That means if they shut the door on you, then climb through the window. If they nail the window shut, then climb down the chimney. If they block the chimney, tear the roof off. But make up your mind, I'm going to get to Jesus. If I have to press through every opposition that comes my way, I'm going to worship him. The more they said be quiet, the more he cried out. Here's what I'll tell you. He was not yet delivered from blindness, but he was delivered from people. Now, I'm not saying be offensive for the sake of being offensive. I'm saying when you're pressing into the presence of God, don't let culture. See, we bowed our knees to culture. We've bowed our knees to society, and we've allowed people outside the kingdom of God to determine who the church should be. It's about time the church become the church. We need to be delivered from people. Pastor, here's what I've come to figure out in 28 years of full-time ministry. I've come to figure this out. If I drive a small car, they'll call me cheap. If I drive a big car, they call me too fancy. If I dress down, I'm a bum. If I dress up, I'm too extravagant. If I'm friendly, they call me a flirt. If I'm standoffish, they call me stuck up. You cannot please everybody. You'll never. 
you'll never be able to do it. But here's what I've come to the understanding of. I don't want to be offensive. I do desire not to offend people, but I've come to understand that if I please God, it doesn't matter who else I please. Because God doesn't have to get your permission to bless me. He'll prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I had a great black brother in Mobile told me one time, he said, Pastor, you ain't never had a good steak dinner until you ate it right in front of somebody didn't want you to have it. Come on, I'm meddling. I don't know if that's good preaching or meddling. But in verse 49, and I'm almost done here. In verse 49, here's the, here's the next thing I want you to see. The Bible says that Jesus stood still. Number one, it was a cry of faith. Number two, it produced faith in whom they believed Jesus to be. Number three, it was a cry that could not be silenced by opposition. And then I want to give you this last one. Number four, it, was, it must be, if you want your deliverance, it must be accompanied by obedience. Verse 45, 49 of our text says that Jesus called him out. He said to him, when Bartimaeus called to Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. The Bible says Jesus was on his way, and then suddenly Jesus stopped. And he called him out, come unto me. And here's what I want you to see. Here's what's so powerful. You can't just read the Bible. You've got to read the Bible. If you're not careful, you'll get right past this. Amen. I hope y'all answered that and said, y'all come on to church. We've got 20 minutes left. He said... The Bible says that Bartimaeus, casting away his garment, arose and came to Jesus. Now here's what I want you to notice. What does that mean? Why is that in the text? Why does it not just say he arose and came to Jesus? Why does it even include that? Because he wanted us to know that our response has to be a response of obedience. Because this was not just any ordinary garment. I've, I've verified this and validated this. I've studied it and read it and found it. And then I've validated it by some, some, some people that we know that, that study uh, the cultures of the day, especially that Hebrew culture, the Jewish culture. And really, this even exists today in Israel. That when someone is considered blind, especially if they're a beggar, there is something, in those days, there was a garment that was issued to them. Most likely, it was a white garment that was issued to them. And that white garment, I want you to hear this, it was their identity that was given to them. Boy, I could preach a whole message right there that we are not identified by who the world says we are. Our identity is based in God, but that's another message for another time. But that garment identified him as a blind man. It identified him as a beggar. That white garment that a blind man would have, a beggar would have, would be his identification garment. Not only that, it was like his social security in a way because that garment would be the thing that when he was begging and he was out in the heat of the day, it would be that garment that he would use to protect himself from the heat of the sun. At night, that garment would be what he would use to protect himself from the cool of the night, that garment. That garment was everything to him. That garment, most importantly, when people walked by, it identified him as a legitimate blind man who was worthy of a beggar's wage. Now, when I left Mobile this morning, and I pulled out on Highway 98 on Moffett Road, 
before I could turn on the Schillinger to go to our church, there were three people standing at a spot where they always stand. One of them had a sign that said, hungry, homeless. Now, he might have been homeless, but I could tell by looking at him, he ain't been hungry long. Come on, somebody. He's like me. He ain't been hungry long. And I see him out there all the time. That, and he's wearing a brand new pair of Jordans. And that's his gig. So I, I, I live there. I see him. I kind of know the backstory. So I didn't stop and give him anything. Because I know, I know his gimmick. I know who he is. I, I know what he's doing. I live there. I've had the conversations with people that know him. So I didn't stop and give him anything. And people would be suspicious of Bartimaeus, except he had this garment that identified him and made him legitimate. The point I'm trying to make is that garment that he possessed was everything to him. It identified, I want you to hear this. I can't get past this. It identified him as a blind man. So when Jesus called blind Bartimaeus and he said, come to me, Bartimaeus, the Bible says, casting away his garment, casting away his security, casting away his identity, casting away the thing that marked him as a blind man, he came to Jesus. The, the, the real story of that is he may never be able to find that garment because somebody's going to take that garment. That garment had value to it. That garment had some authority to it but he cast it aside because he knew that when he came to Jesus he would no longer need to be identified as a blind man he would know listen his faith was so strong that he cast it away and went to Jesus knowing that he no longer needed his plan B again see somebody under the sound of my voice needs to hear me you can't keep trusting God for your marriage when you got the divorce attorney's card in your wallet you can't can't keep trusting God. Those I tell my church all the time. You can't. Those of you that have been delivered from drugs, you don't. You need to get rid of Plan B. Delete the drug dealer's number out of your phone. Those that have been delivered from alcoholism, get all of it out of your house. You don't need to hold on to that stuff. Get it out of your house. Get the cigarettes out of your house. Amen. If you struggle with pornography, put your filter on there. Get some accountability. Don't have a Plan B because He requires old obedience. It is greater than sacrifice. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Pastor, if you'll come. John chapter 9. I don't know why I've mentioned that a couple times. In John 9, there's a story of a blind man, another blind man. Jesus comes to him, and he's blind. And Jesus kneels down in the dirt he spits in the dirt. I know it sounds crude. It's crazy. I don't recommend doing that unless God specifically tells you. If he tells me, I need, a dub, I need a witness to know it's true. But he spits in the dirt. He makes mud. And he takes it. And watch this. Jesus Christ himself lays hands on a blind man. He puts that mud in his eyes. Not Shambach. Not Benny Hinn. Not David Smith. Jesus lays hands on him. Now there's power in laying on of hands. And you know what happens when Jesus laid hands on that blind man? You remember what happened? What happened? No, he didn't. That was a trick question. You said exactly what I wanted you to say. Not yet. 
Jesus laid hands on them, but he didn't see yet. Jesus said, go wash your eyes. And the Bible said when the man went and washed his eyes, and he obeyed what Jesus told him to do, then he saw. How many times do we have people come to an altar and we lay our hands on some people been anointed with oil so many times they look like a greased pig at the county fair and we pray the prayer of faith we run shout swing on the chandeliers get happy dance all over the church and they leave and they have the same thing they came up for deliverance for because it requires obedience It's not just a preacher laying hands upon your head. If that were the only case, and I believe in the laying on of hands, I believe there's power in that. Don't misunderstand me. But if Jesus laid his hands on a man and put mud on his eyes, and he didn't see yet until he obeyed the command of the Lord, how much more does he require of us? If we come to an altar... And he says in Mark eleven twenty four, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe you receive them and you shall have them. But the next verse, but when you stand praying, if you have unforgiveness in your heart, forgive. Because if you don't forgive, your father in heaven will not hear your prayers. We can come to this altar and lay hands on one another but if we're harboring bitterness and unforgiveness we're not walking in obedience and partial you say well i come to church i pay my tithes i i I, i'm a member of the church i i serve over here in the church but partial obedience is full disobedience and in these last days that we're in folks we are in the last hours of the last days Psalm 83, Ezekiel 38, Matthew 24. It is like tomorrow's news. We are living right now in the last moments of the last days. And all those signs are pointing to the second coming. We're this seven years this side of all of that. And the signs are already in place. Jesus is coming. And he wants to create a place of deliverance. I'm going to tell you what I pray every day of my life. I pray, God, everybody that walks through the doors at Oak Park Church, let them walk in and experience such a presence of God. Whatever it costs, whatever it takes, let them experience such an encounter with God that they cannot leave like they came. I'm going to tell you what I'm praying for this church, what I'm praying for your church. I'm praying that when the lost come in lost, they leave found. I'm praying that when the bound walk in bound, they leave delivered. I'm talking about when the drug addict comes in addicted, they leave delivered. I'm talking about when the alcoholic comes in an alcoholic, that they leave set free. Come on, somebody. When that marriage that's struggling walks into this room, they leave restored. Come on, can somebody give God praise this morning, this evening? Would you stand with me all over this room? I don't know. I I, I don't know you. So I don't know. This is Pastor Michael Mooneyham. I want to say thank you so much for listening to our podcast today. 
We are so thankful that you chose to join us in this way, but we would also love for you to come and join us in person at 1102 Sergeant John Pittman Parkway in Greenwood, Mississippi. Our service time is at 10.40 a.m., and we would love to see you here. Thank you once again for listening. We hope to see you soon. God bless.